Welcome to Central Baptist Church's Sermon Podcast. This program features the preaching and teaching of Corey Ramirez, the pastor of Central Baptist Church of Little Rock, Arkansas. In God's Word, you will find the encouragement needed for today. And now, here is Pastor Ramirez. You know, uh, for the most part, I, I think it's safe to say that many people, many, even Christians, uh, this morning are not satisfied. They're just not satisfied. Uh, they're discontent with their life, uh, maybe circumstances, maybe unmet expectations. Uh, whatever the case may be, there are a lot of people that are just not satisfied uh, with where they are, maybe who they are, or what's going on with their life. How about you this morning? How about you? Uh, today, the question that I have that I'm going to try to answer is, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? Because I do believe that Christ satisfies. I believe He provides everything that we need to satisfy our heart. And that's where this chapter really picks up with, as far as the Apostle Paul. And we find here that we are complete in Christ. He does provide that satisfaction. But we have to begin correctly. What I mean by that is, uh, you know, where you begin will determine where you end where you begin is going to determine where you end, no matter what you do in life. And if we don't begin with Christ, we're, we're not going to find satisfaction. Uh, you have a whole book in Ecclesiastes where Solomon talks about that, uh, going all different directions and never finding peace, never finding happiness, never really understanding his purpose. And then he came back to the very end about God, you see. Had he begun with God to begin with, he would have found that earlier, that peace that he was looking for. So this morning, we must make sure that we are beginning with Christ. Not setting him aside, not looking elsewhere, but we're looking to Christ and finding satisfaction in him. And when you find that, that's when you're going to find the peace and the happiness that can come into your heart, no matter your circumstances, no matter what you're going through. And so this morning, let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 is my text this morning. We find here, uh, he begins in verse 1. Uh, basically talking about his his desire to be there with them, but he could not. And then he talks about the the Laodiceans, the the believers there. But in verse 2 he says that their hearts might be comforted, uh, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of full assurance of understanding, uh, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In these two verses here, I think we find, we find here enough to satisfy us. And I'm going to give you three thoughts on this. First, with Christ, you have comfort. Okay, with Christ, you have comfort. And that's where we begin here. Notice he says in verse 2 that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. Now, that word here for comfort means to, to call near, to, to draw near, to invite, to, to bring someone in close. The, the implication is uh, to invite someone for consolation or for encouragement. Uh, almost like saying, come here, let me encourage you. That's what this word implies here, some comfort. And that's what we all need at times, right? We all need to be comforted. And we all need the comfort that God gives through Christ. But let me point out a few things here. First, in this passage, who was to be comforted? That's the first question we have to answer. Who was to be comforted? That goes back to verse 1 is what that goes to. It says here, I would that you know what great conflict I have for you. So, this is Paul writing to the believers here at Coloss, the, the church there, those that were there. And then he says, and also for them at Laodicea. And as for many have not seen my face in the flesh. So Paul had yet visited these churches and these believers. He's writing to them. He wants to visit them. But he's going to encourage them until he can get there. 
And, and the encouragement he gives, he says here, as far as who he's writing to, he's writing to those that are at Laodicea and at, at, here at Coloss, the churches and the believers. Well, we do know this at this time. You know, the devil was active at this time. As God's men went out to start churches, Paul, Barnabas, others, the apostles, you know, as they went out and as they were leading people to Christ and as they were starting churches, you know, the devil wasn't just sitting by watching. He was actively trying to keep people blinded, away from the truth. He was trying to hinder Christians in their growth and their walk with Christ after they were saved. And then he was trying to destroy churches the whole time. You know, that battle still takes place today. The devil is still active in our world. And he's still trying to do those same things. So what we find here is Paul is trying to comfort the believers here, trying to encourage them as they go through this world. You know, Paul hoped to encourage them in Christ. Now notice notice here how this encouragement would come, or how this comfort would come. That's in verse 2. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. Okay, this is an interesting verse here, because the comfort is in Christ, but it's not directly from Christ. It's actually a comfort based upon their unity together as believers. That's where the comfort's coming from. That's how Christ is working in their hearts. And notice he says here, knit together. That word knit means to, to compact, to force together, or to unite. Knitting, I don't knit. I haven't even attempted to knit. But someone is knitting their uniting fabrics, right, to make something. A sweater, hat, blanket, whatever they're knitting, they're, they're putting those together. That's what that word means. It means to unite, to bring together is what it means. Notice it says here in verse, as we look at this, he says, being knit together in love unto all the riches of full assurance. So he's saying to these believers, he says, you want to find comfort in Christ. You have to be knit together in love with each other. That, that's kind of the point here. You see, love is the bond that binds believers. Obviously, it's Christ who unites, but it's love that brings that bond together. Now, in the Bible, you have, well, in the Greek, you had three words for love. Okay, let me share this with you. There was the word eros, E-R-O-S, that was used in the Greek language. That would be most closely associated to what we would call lust today. And you know, that word is never found in your Bible. Just point that out to you. Never found in your New Testament. It's just not found there. So whenever you read love in the Bible, you can just remove that thought right there. It's not referring to that type of love. Okay, the second word for love is phileo. And that is what we call a, a brotherly love. A, a love of family, patriotism type love. Uh, you know, the church of, or the city today in America, Philadelphia. City of brotherly love is, is where they, it gets this, uh, you know, their name from here. Now, that word is found in the Bible. Occasionally you'll find it spread throughout. And then there's a third one, which is agape. And that's, that's what this word is here, agape. That's the, the, the word for love you'll find most throughout your New Testament. And that's the love what we, people would call the divine love. That, that's the love that God, that's the love of God is what that is. You know, and that's a love that chooses. That's a love that acts. That's not a feeling. That's not an emotion. That's a determination and a decision. You see, when God sent his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it wasn't based upon his feelings or his emotions. It was based upon his determination. The world was lost. The world needed hope and God sent the answer, Jesus Christ. That was his decision. Well, that's the kind of love we're talking about here. A love that chooses, a love that acts upon its decisions. You know, this is the kind of love that you find throughout the New Testament. It's the kind of love in John 14, or John 14 that we're to have. 
That's a command. We're to love one another. Christ gave that command. Love one another. And that's a command that's given to all believers. We're to love one another. Also in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you have a whole chapter dedicated to this kind of love. And then in 1 John, that word is sprinkled all the way throughout on loving one another. You know, I think it's safe to say the Lord really wanted us to get that message of loving one another, caring for one another. And here in this passage, that's what knits us together. All right, that's what knits us together. So here's what we have. Here's here's my thought on this, and then we'll move on. Christ is the common denominator that all believers have. He's the common denominator that we all have. You know, we're different today. All of us are different. That's okay. It's good. There's nothing wrong with being different. Uh, Someone once pointed out, you know, as Christians, we're all brothers or sisters in Christ. Uh, You know, not all siblings are twins, is what I've heard put that way. In other words, even in life, you find people are different. And as Christians, we're different. Uh, we're going to have different backgrounds, right? We're going to have different backgrounds. We, we come from different places, maybe born and raised in different areas. So we're going to have different backgrounds. We're also going to have different directions in life. You know, tomorrow morning you're going to wake up, we're all going to go different directions. You have a different career. You've got a different place you're going. We have different directions that we're going. And we're all going to have different opinions and preferences on some things. You know, uh, that's just how life is. We're different. But you know what brings us together? It's Christ. Christ brings us together. He's the bond that brings us together. And that love for one another that we have because of Christ is what comforts us. See, that's, that's what we're to unite in. As believers, we're to unite. In other words, we're not to be fighting each other down here. We're to be caring for each other, encouraging each other. Helping, helping each other out. And that's the comfort we have in Christ. You see, the Lord has provided that for us. You know, I have noticed in my life, and maybe some of you have too, and I, I can speak from personal experience too, those Christians that are out of church are usually the most discouraged Christians. And if not discouraged at the moment, easily discouraged. Obviously, they're not being challenged from God's Word, but they're also missing the fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. They're, they're, they're missing that comfort, that encouragement that, that only they can find through that. And so that's why I think the church is, that's one reason why the church is important. It provides that for us. Let me give you one illustration and we'll move on of how a church can comfort someone. Uh, the late Joseph Parker was a pastor for many years in England. Many years. And his wife passed away. She had gotten an illness and she passed away. And it just devastated him. I mean, it just devastated to the point where uh, he planned to, to speak at her funeral. But in his own words, he said he didn't know if he'd ever want to speak again afterwards. He just, he was just devastated. And so he did. He, he spoke at her, at her funeral. And then the following Sunday, he got up in front of his church and he, he preached a message. And the message that he preached was the title is the, the ministry of silence is what he called it. The ministry of silence and how you don't have to say something to encourage somebody. Just being there for them. Just being there speaks volumes. And how there are times in life you may not know what to say. Well, you don't have to say something. Just knowing that you're there is an encouragement. So he preached that message. And afterwards, in his own words, he said he went back to his office. You know, he fellowshiped with people and made his way back to his office. He said he didn't want to leave because he said he didn't want to go home. That's what it amounted to. And he didn't want to leave that afternoon. So he, he found other things to do. And then finally he got up and there were just a few others in the church finishing up some things. And, and he walked out the front door. And to his amazement, his whole church was sitting there waiting for him. And they lined up the sidewalk. is what they did. It was a large church. They went down the sidewalk. 
And nobody said a word. The men held their hats and the ladies just kind of bowed their heads. And he knew right then and there what they were doing is they were encouraging him. And he was British, so he didn't get very emotional. But he said he did begin to well up. His, his tears did. He said he couldn't help it. And then he went on home. He said he knew firsthand from that point on how you could be comforted by believers. You know, this morning as a believer, you can encourage somebody. Maybe you'd be encouraged by someone. That's the comfort we have, and that comes because of Jesus Christ, because of our relationship with Him. Here's the second one this morning. Notice the confidence that Paul talks about here. He says here in verse 2, he says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches, he says, of the full assurance of understanding, uh, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So uh, we can be satisfied this morning because we're comforted. Second, we can be satisfied because of the confidence we have in God. He gives us confidence. And that can help us as we go forward. You know, why? Notice what it says here. So you might be assured. Might be assured. He says here in verse 2, he says, assurance of of understanding. Now, he starts off here talking about riches. Okay, that's wealth, great value. Now, he's, he's put it together with assurance. That, that, that's the value here. There's a, there's a value to, to what, we're, what he's talking about. He's not necessarily talking about worldly possessions or worldly wealth, but he's talking about the full assurance, the confidence in, in God in Christ. Now, that word full assurance, uh, it's one word in Greek. It means to have complete confidence, complete confidence. Uh, you're settled. You're confident in something. You're assured of something. And what are you assured of? Or what should we be assured of? You know, he explains it to us. We're not to be confident in ourselves, in what we can do, or what we might be able to do. Uh, we're not to find confidence there. We're not to find confidence in others, whether it's people, institutions, governments, or even churches. That's not where our full confidence comes from, or our assurance. It's in the understanding, as he says here, it's in the understanding of the mystery of God. It's in the understanding of the mystery of God. Let's read it again here. It says, Unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. That's where the confidence comes. That's where the assurance comes, is the understanding of the mystery of God. So that leads me to, obviously, the next question. What is the mystery he's talking about? Now, I enjoy a good mystery. I don't know about any of you. I enjoy a good mystery, whether it's a book, a movie, a television series. I enjoy a good mystery, just uh, you know, seeing how things play out and getting an answer or finding out something that's unknown. And Paul here refers to a mystery. A mystery, but he's already given the answer, alright? And that's in Colossians chapter 1. So let's go back to the first chapter of Colossians chapter 1. And so we can see the answer he gives. And we find it here in verse 26. He says, Even the mystery to which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Notice what the mystery is? It's salvation. It's the work of Christ. Christ in you is what he's saying here. He's saying that's the mystery. Now, here's what it comes down to. The mystery is the work of God to save men and to save women. To redeem sinners. That's the mystery he's referring to. And the mystery is basically, or was, revealed in Jesus Christ. You see, before Christ came, there was that mystery there. The Old Testament, the saints, they put their faith in God no different than we do today. But the Messiah had yet to appear. 
The work on the cross had yet to take place. That was something that was promised. That was something that they put their faith in, but they had not yet seen. And then when Christ came, he was revealed, and then he died, was buried, and rose again. The work was complete. The mystery was explained. And it was explained in Jesus Christ. See, that's what he's referring to here. The work of Christ. The mystery being revealed. So today, uh, we may refer to it as a mystery, but we have the answer right now. Uh, no different than if you go to the back of the book and read the answer. You know, uh, not that you should, but you run out of time and hurry up and go find out. We have the answer now, and that's Jesus Christ. The mystery has been revealed. And so, because we have the answer, we have full assurance. We have that confidence uh, in God. And it says here that Christ was hid. Notice it says here, uh, and it says in verse uh, 3, full assurance of understanding and acknowledging the mystery of God and of the Father and of Jesus Christ. Uh, you see, at the time, he was hidden because he had yet to be manifest, but then uh, now we know him being manifest. So here's the thoughts for you on this. You have confidence today because Christ has finished the work. You don't have to finish the work. Have you ever had a project that you began that you didn't finish and you knew you had to finish? I've done that too many times. Uh, you start something, oh, i got to go get this finished. Uh, one of the things I'm guilty of, you know, I get in a hurry and I finish up maybe mowing the yard and getting things done. I think, oh, i got to go put that away and then I get sidetracked. And then it starts to rain. I say, oh man, i got to go put that away fast now. Hurry up and go put everything away before it gets all wet and ruined and hurry up and get it put it away. Well, you see, when... When something's unfinished, there's a lack of confidence, a lack of assurance. It's not done. The work on the cross has been finished. Your work of salvation is done. It's complete. If you have received Christ as your Savior, it's done. And the Bible tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, it's not going to change. Isn't that wonderful? Tomorrow morning you wake up, if you have received Christ as your Savior... You'll be just as saved tomorrow as you are today. Because it's not going to change. You're not going to have to wake up tomorrow and say, well, what do I need to do today to make sure I'm saved? No, it's finished. It's complete. And Christ will keep you because His work is done. It's finished. And that's just wonderful. See, that's the confidence we have as believers. Now, to have that confidence, you have to know Christ as your Savior. In other words, understand you've sinned. Repent of your sin. Repentance is just turning. Turning from, from whatever you're putting your faith in. Maybe it's your works. Maybe it's your abilities. Maybe it's your baptism. Maybe it's church. Turning from that and putting your faith in Christ and trusting in Him and receive Him as your Savior. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, you're saved. You belong to the Lord and you have that confidence now. Now, I'm going to tell you that from, I'm not saying every single morning everything's going to work out wonderful. And I'm not saying you're going to have those doubts because, you know, the problem is we can get sidetracked, right? You know, we can put our minds here. We can think on other things. That's why we've got to remain faithful to Christ. We've got to walk with Him. Because we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. And then our confidence will stay there. Because it's not our confidence, it's confidence in Him. And we're looking to Him and trusting Him. And so we find here that that's the confidence they can have. Now, here's the problem that many have. Many seek confidence elsewhere, right? They seek confidence elsewhere. And because they seek it elsewhere, they're let down. But when you seek confidence in Christ, you're going to be satisfied. He's going to satisfy your heart and your soul. Here's the last one this morning, and that's the counsel that only Christ can offer and give. And that's here in verse 3. He says here, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Treasures. 
treasures. That's a, something of great wealth or value. Have you found a treasure map? And you really believed it held something? Man, you think, I'm going to look into this a little bit. Find out if this treasure is real. You see, it's a treasure, something of great wealth and value. Now, we all have different things that we value, different treasures, different things that, that we look to and that we put a great value on. In this passage, he's going to talk about spiritual treasures. Okay, But these spiritual treasures help us with practical living, everyday life. And notice to begin with, he says, he talks about where these treasures are, okay? It's not really a mystery. Notice he says in verse uh, 3, he says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This carries us back to verse 2, which is talking about Christ. That's where these treasures are hid. Now let me point this out. This does not mean that they cannot be found. They're not hidden where you can't find them. Okay, it's not referring to something that cannot be found. What this is referring to is this is the place where they are found. They're hidden there. And if you want to find them, you have to go to Christ. You're not going to find them elsewhere. You're not going to find them in the world. You're not going to find them in a book. You're not going to find them in a movie. They're found in Christ, in Christ alone. And that's where these treasures are. And these treasures can only be found by going to the Lord. So those that like to find deals, maybe there's some out here like to find deals. You get it? I'm the kind that if I see something... I don't necessarily buy it right away because I go check online to see if I can find it cheaper somewhere else and find a better deal. And then if I don't find a better deal, I go back and buy it where I found it first. Well, what we find in this passage is referring to this is where you find these. You're not going to find them anywhere else. Even if you look all around the world. And that's what Solomon did. He looked all over and didn't find the piece he was looking for. They're found in Christ. They're found in God. And what are these treasures? Let me point them out to you. First one is wisdom. He says here in verse 3, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is the ability to discern right from wrong. That's what wisdom is. Discretion. You make some right decisions. Now, we all want wisdom, right? We all want to to be able to make the right decisions. Uh, We need wisdom every single day. We need wisdom. Traveling, you need to know where you're going to go. Make the right turn so you don't go the wrong way. Maybe where you work, you need wisdom so you can make some right decisions. You make a poor decision, it's not good. That's what wisdom is. It's the ability to to, to make some correct choices. You know, Solomon received wisdom. That's what he wanted. He asked for wisdom. And God gave it to him. Probably the wisest man that ever lived. But the problem with Solomon is sometimes he used that wisdom and sometimes he didn't use the wisdom. All right? Sometimes he just did his own thing. We find that. And he wrote a whole book about it. And how you're to look to God instead and trust in the Lord. But wisdom is something that we need. Here's, here's the key, though. And that leads us to our second one. It says wisdom and knowledge. Okay? Wisdom requires knowledge. If you're going to make good decisions, you have to have the knowledge to make those decisions. So wisdom is the ability to discern, but you need the knowledge so you can discern. And so these two end up going together. I guess my illustration on this would be like a vehicle. Uh, you need gas or maybe electricity now, depending on the kind of car you have. Gas or electricity to get that thing to go. If you don't have that, you can have the nicest looking vehicle out there. But as far as being a vehicle, it's, just, it's almost useless. It's not going anywhere. And so that's kind of how wisdom and knowledge are. They go together. They fit. And you need knowledge so you can make the right decisions. Now let me go to, to James chapter 3. This, let me just point one thing out to you. In James chapter 3, because the Bible tells us here there are 
there's what you call worldly wisdom and then wisdom from above. And we want to make sure we have the wisdom from God, not just worldly wisdom. It says here in verse 13, James chapter 3, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works uh, with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying, strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work, but the wisdom that is from above is First pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, uh, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace them, and them that make peace. So what we find is there are two, I guess, general wisdoms that you could seek. You have the worldly wisdom, and then you have the wisdom from above. You know, this explains why two people could look upon a situation and come to two different conclusions. Some could look at something and they look and they don't see anything having to do with God in it at all. It's probably because there's just worldly wisdom. They have knowledge and facts. And then someone can look upon a situation and they can see God's hand working. And it's because they have the vision of God, or the, not the vision of God, the wisdom from God that God gives. And they can see the things of God. And so what we find here are two wisdoms. We want to make sure that we have the right one. And that's the wisdom from God. Now here's some thoughts on wisdom and knowledge. Okay. They need, they need to go together. And the Bible tells us in this verse that Christ gives both. Okay? He gives both. I'm so glad he doesn't just give knowledge. So I'm going to give you facts. But you've got to figure out what to do with them. Uh, if we had that, we'd have a lot of information, but we'd be stuck. And, and vice versa. I'm glad he just doesn't give us wisdom and say, well, I'm not going to give you any knowledge with it. Because then we would have wisdom, but we wouldn't know what to do anyway because we have, don't have the knowledge. Uh, for example... Let's say you have a vehicle. We'll go with that theme here this morning. You know, if you don't have if you don't have wisdom or knowledge, you could as far as mechanics. Okay, let me let me explain this. If you don't have wisdom or knowledge, you could probably take a car apart, probably put something back together. I don't know what it'd look like. Now, if you're going to ask me, this is what you're going to get because when it comes to cars, I don't have the wisdom and knowledge of it. But you could put something back together, and you might even have a whole lot of extra parts. You know, I'm the kind I can build something. Like, oh, what's this for? I guess I don't need it. This is it aside. You might have a whole lot of extra parts. Now, let's just, let's just say you have knowledge. So you have the knowledge of a vehicle. You know what you can do? You could probably take the car apart, maybe put it back together, but it might not start. You know, with wisdom and knowledge. Well, with wisdom, you might not take the car apart to begin with, right? You might say, I don't need to take my car apart. It's working. I'm fine. See, that's wisdom. But let's say with wisdom, you decide you're going to take it apart. You know, with wisdom, you could put it back together again, turn the key, push the button, whatever it is you have, and it would start. See, that that's the correct use of the knowledge. Let's bring this back here. That's what Christ gives. Counsel. You want a counselor? You have one. And that's Jesus Christ. Go to him. Talk to him in prayer. Read his word. He's going to give you direction. He's going to guide you. It's up to you to follow the direction now. It's there. You see, he gives you the knowledge in the Bible, and he'll give you the wisdom to make those decisions. Oh, there are going to be some difficult decisions, and that's where you wait on him. That's when you seek him in prayer. And that's when you let him lead and guide and direct. And that's how Christ satisfies the heart, because you know you have a counselor. You know you have a direct source for knowledge and wisdom. And you can go to him. Isn't it wonderful to know you can go night and day, anytime, 
Any problem that comes up in your life, you don't have to wait for office hours to go to Christ. You can talk to Him right then and there. Seek His comfort, have confidence in Him, and receive counsel from our Lord and Savior, direct counsel. And that's what God does. See, that's how God satisfies. That's how Christ satisfies the heart. And for those that are saved, you're complete in Him. You have that. You have that. So I want to encourage you this morning is don't look elsewhere for those things. That's the problem. It comes to comfort. You know, I know there are people that are hurting. I know some who've chosen to look elsewhere. Whether with drink, uh, drugs of some sort. They're just masking the pains, all they're doing. But they're looking elsewhere for their comfort. They're not looking to God. Make sure you look to the Lord for your comfort. Make sure that you look to other believers and are comforted together as a church from others. Uh, Secondly, confidence. You know, if you look elsewhere for confidence, you're going to be let down eventually. It's just going to happen. Because nobody's perfect but Jesus Christ. You look to Him, and you're going to have that confidence every single day of knowing you're saved, knowing you belong to the Lord. And then finally, the counsel. The counsel. Seek God's wisdom. Seek His knowledge. Ask Him for advice. Ask Him for direction. At work, at home, your spiritual life, your personal life, with your family, with church, everything. Take it to God. Take all your cares to God. Take all your concerns and let Him guide and direct your life. And I guess if you're looking for the, I guess, a key to be satisfied, that's it right there. You do those things and you're faithful every single day. You're going to be content. You're going to be satisfied. Your circumstances may change. But you know God's leading you, God's guiding you, God's directing you, God's forgiving you, and God has a place prepared for you. You've been listening to the preaching of Pastor Ramirez of Central Baptist Church of Little Rock, Arkansas. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you would like more information about Pastor Ramirez or Central Baptist Church, please visit our website, centralbaptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us again for another message from God's Word.